0: All right. Acts chapter 3. We've been walking through this series about the church and it's been focused on Acts 2 in a specific verse. Um, And it's each week we've talked about one of these things. The first word was the word, right? The first word was the word. And the church is supposed to be about the word. The people devoted themselves to the word, the teaching of the word. Then there was the fellowship and there was the ordinances. And finally, There was prayer. But there's a final question that I think needs to be asked. And Acts, the book of Acts, actually asks it right off. They don't leave us any space. They don't leave us any room to wonder about this. Right away, turn the page in your Bible and you come to a story which is all about, did they implement this? Did they do it? On the screen, hopefully behind me, Garrett, thank you, it says, what happened when they prayed? We have to ask ourselves this question. What did happen when they prayed? Did they pray, and did something occur? Was it worth something to do these things that they have been told so much about? So they devoted themselves to pray, and we're going to spend the morning kind of exploring what God did because they actually took seriously this passage we've talked about for the past few weeks. Join me in prayer before we go forward. God, we just want to ask for your presence here. We realize, Lord, that you are an awesome God, and you have acted in eras... Far different from ours. This is 2,000 years ago we're talking about this morning, and yet we could trace you back to David uh, 1,000 years before that and Abraham 2,000 years before that. So we could look back all of these, for all these periods where you have been active in the lives of human beings just like us. And so this morning we pray that you'd take this opportunity to be active in our lives, that you'd help us to fall within your plan and to listen to your voice where you speak, and that you would guide us. Lord, thank you for your truth. We know that we need the Spirit of God to help us to understand it and to apply it deeply within our hearts, and that you would just help us to walk this out in such a way that our lives are transformed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what happened when they prayed is the question in the morning. And we're going to walk through the next passage just kind of talking about that. There's going to be four scenes, so you'll see them on the screen behind me. I'll ask you to read along with me on um, what's on the screen. And the scene one is just simply this, going to pray. And it, I put it that way because right there it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. They were going to pray. They devoted themselves to prayer, as Tim said last week, but how did it look? And it looked like them going to the foremost place of prayer in the world. People have been praying for 2,000 years in this very location before Peter and John approached the temple on this day. This is the place that 2,000 years beforehand, God called a guy named Abraham, and Abraham actually was tested by God, and he set out, and with his son, he was tested by even looking like it was he was going to sacrifice his son to god now god stops that whole thing and it becomes this prayer service where he realizes is a good god god is a good god who doesn't want his son and they actually begin this process of i think making this land that this story took place on making it holy a holy spa i'm going to be there in a couple weeks i can't wait A thousand years after that, after Abraham, a guy named David buys this plot of ground from another person. He pays his own money out there and he sets it aside for a temple to be built on it. And his son Solomon builds this temple and it's actually going to live for hundreds of years before it's destroyed. Then another guy named Zerubbabel starts building this temple again, and Herod the Great makes it great in the time of Jesus and the apostles. So when Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of prayer, they're going to a place that has been dedicated from time, millenniums past. Let's just put it that way. It's the most holy place on earth, and they're going there to connect with God. Now, lots of people went to this temple, but factually, that's not why they were going. It was because they had had this new connection with God. Something had happened with Jesus, and they were going to keep up on this thing that they were involved in every day, which was their dedication, their devotion to prayer. So they go to the temple at three in the afternoon. Now a man was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Peter and John, you know, when I was a kid, let's just say it this way. When I was a kid, we were called upon to kneel before we prayed. And when I went to bed at night, I actually kneeled by my bedside. My mom would tell us to do this, and I did, right? But I told the first service, I don't know if it's so much true in our second service, but if I asked you all to get off your chairs and kneel, you might not make it back up, right? A few of you have had knee replacements or hip replacements, and we won't kneel. But the reason why people kneel, why they bow, is because when we pray, we prostrate our hearts before God. We recognize him as the leader from whom we need to hear. We have this thing happen inside of us, and so prayer enters us into what God is doing, because when we start to listen to his voice, we're hearing from him, and we want to hear from him. We are in a posture of listening. We're, in, we're on our knees. Am I Belief is that Peter and John, as they're approaching the temple, they were on their knees inside their heart. And so they could hear God. I think a lot of us probably struggle to hear God in the moment. We just don't have these moments where God communicates to us. And it's not because God isn't trying to communicate, it's actually because we have a hard time hearing because we're not in a posture of prayer. Picture this this guy, he's never walked. Never. And later in the story, it's going to tell us he was over 40 years old. My kids got to be about 12 months of age, and they moved from the army crawl to the all-fours, you know? And then we realized that stairs were dangerous for the first time, and they would try to go up the stairs. And then I remember catching one of them, falling down the stairs as I was kind of making sure she was going up this And then at 13 or 14 months of age, they take their first steps, and they walk from the coffee table to the couch. And they get this big smile on their face, and they look so grandiose. They're so excited about this thing. They're walking. And then they walk back, and they start to do it two feet, this way, that way, all day long. It's the same two feet, and they wear out the carpet there, you know? And then they get to the point where they move across the room, and this guy never had any of that happen. His mom waited, and he never started walking. We're not sure why, but something was broken inside him. There's something not working. Maybe it was his ankles, maybe it was his knees, maybe it was his feet. Whatever it was, he never got up, and he never walked, and that meant he never worked. And for, for four decades, he'd been being carried by friends to a great place to be a beggar. And they put him alongside the temple gate called Beautiful. And people who are about to go pray, who are about to go meet with God, they want credit with God, right? And so they were feeling guilty as they were going into the temple. And he was sitting there by the doors, doorways. And that's a great place because, oh, man, I'm going to see God. And I haven't given up my tithes or my offerings and so on. I'm just going to take a few coins out and give it to the poor. And they could get credit with God this way. So he sat there and hundreds of people would walk by every day and he's shouting at them, just screaming, hey, I need help, you know, whatever it was. This happens in our world, right? Every time I go to the Philadelphia Zoo, I see somebody like this. Sometimes they're playing guitars or trumpets or saxophones. Sometimes I saw a guy in Chicago. He painted himself silver and kind of stood out like a statue. And I tried to get him to move. You know, I'd walk up to him and he wouldn't move. And then finally I got him to flinch. That was a good experience for me in college. But, you know, we've had these moments, right? There are beggars in our world. And this guy is a beggar. And he's a normal part of the temple. He's really part of the temple furniture. He was there. Every day, probably, in about the same spot if he could get there before somebody else took it. Peter probably walked by this guy every day of his life. When, when Peter uh, traveled to the temple, this guy was there. And yet, on this day, amidst all of these hundreds of people walking past, Peter hears the Spirit of God, something inside him. I don't know, it might not have been in his ears he heard it, but something tweaked his heart, and he says, you know, I need to walk over there, and I need to take a step of faith. And after all of the beggars Peter's seen in his lifetime, and all of the time these two people have probably been in the same location, same proximate space, Peter, at this moment, for no explainable reason other than the Spirit of God, says, listen, I don't have any money. But what I can offer you, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Now, what are you like if you're a person who's never walked before, and somebody says, it's time, you get up and walk you think that guy believed? I have a suspicion this beggar actually fought back. Maybe John was on one end and Peter on the other, and they were hoisting him to his feet, and he's like, leave me alone. What are you guys doing? You're crazy, you know, and they hoisted him up on his feet, and lo and behold, his ankles and his knees, they worked. For the first time in 40 years, all of a sudden, these things just started to function. He didn't walk. He bounced. He bounced. You know, he started jumping. He started running around. He's praising God. The Temple Mount's a huge, gigantic space. There's hundreds of people there. My, my suspicion is that he looked like a pinball in a pinball machine. You know, he just ran from one group to the other and he's hugging people and the people are feeling uncomfortable. You know, he's like, oh my goodness, stop touching me. And this guy's running to him. I can walk. I can walk. I can walk. And he's telling all these different people God healed. It's really an amazing moment. And all of this because. Peter and John went to pray. So did they do it? And what happened? Yeah, they did it. And when they prayed, something happened. And they got into the place where they could see what God was wanting to do in the moment. And they took that step of faith. I can only imagine what Peter would have looked like if that guy would have just fallen back down on his his place there. And what? You know, Peter took a step of faith that was amazing in doing this. Peter senses God's desire to move in power, and the man lame since birth walks for the very first time. What a great experience. You know, we could all go home, right? It's just nice. This lame guy learned to walk, or God healed him, or something. It was amazing. It's a miraculous moment. Prayer enters us into what God is doing. And Peter, in his posture of prayer, in his lifestyle of prayer, is walking to meet with God, and he says, you know what, I'm hearing from God. I think I'm just supposed to act. I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments, but it's critical. It's critical that you do what you hear in that moment. Peter acts on it, and it changes everything. And it not only changes this guy's life, it does that, but it starts a domino reaction that we're going to read about. It keeps moving on and on. The sermon Goes forward in Acts chapter 3 as it moves to the next scene, sharing with the masses. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Think about this. Peter doesn't own the credit for this at all. He says, Listen, this is Jesus. It's not me. It's not even that I'm really a great guy, I'm not so wonderful. Fellow Israelites, when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus'. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and the prophets who have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring... All peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is quite a sermon. But the thing is, it's completely unplanned. At no point did Peter expect to be giving a sermon on this day. He just shows up. And he hears God's voice and he takes action because he can feel that God wants to do something in the moment. And when he takes action, when he steps out in faith and he hears God's voice, he steps into it and this guy gets healed and then he goes bouncing around the temple and then they end up all in the one end of the temple and people, of course, gather around. And it allows them to provide the opportunity, it provides them with the opportunity to authentically share with other people. You know, people share their faith a lot, right? You ever get a knock on the front door and you look out there and you know you don't know those people and they're either trying to get you to move from Pico to whatever those other companies are or they're trying to get you to go to their church. I mean, that's are there other options anymore? Every now and then I see a Kirby salesman, but I haven't seen them in a while. Um, the, the, there's just not too many other options. In religious people are some of the people who come talk to you now here's the deal not all of those people who come talk to me about religion even I'm a Christian you might be surprised by that here I am preaching to you but you know some of those people are Christians and I don't want to see them come to my door you know there's such and such a church come by hey we just want to come share your okay ah yeah no please leave me alone you know in the mall you see somebody come up to you I no offense I don't like this either and I'm Part of a church. I actually work for a church. There, there's words that are added to the dictionary every year. A few years ago, I saw the word Google became a verb. The Merriam-Webster dictionary actually communicated through their website or whatever it was that Google is a verb. It's actually in the dictionary now. Okay, it's not just a company with lots and lots of money, but it's actually a verb. They added another word. That is just my favorite word. This is my favorite word of the English language in the dictionary. Okay. Eeyore-ish. Eeyore-ish. In the first service, nobody laughed. I don't think they knew what that meant. But you've read Winnie the Pooh to your kids, maybe. And there's this character. He's so lovable. Eeyore. He's a donkey, and he's always losing his tail. Literally. I mean, the tail falls off, and he has to get it taped and pinned back on, and all this stuff. The sun never shines on Eeyore. You know what I mean? I mean, it's always a cloudy day for Eeyore. And if something good happens to him, he says, "Well, it's going to get worse later. Don't hold up, hold your breath." I have a friend, and my friend's a Christian, and he loves to share his faith. He comes from a movement of Christians that he just really got embedded within him that he was supposed to be evangelistic, and he shares his faith. He talks about Jesus, talks all the time about Jesus, but he's also an Eeyore. He is. I, I love this guy. He's a good friend. He doesn't go here. You don't need to look around and wonder, am I him? But, you know, this guy, he's my friend, and he just, when he talks about Jesus, he's like, yeah, Jesus is getting me through this, you know. I'm probably going to lose my job and my wife's mad at me and, you know, my, my well isn't working at my house and my transmission isn't working in my car. You know, it was, it's like, he's always a country music song. The, the dog and the woman and the truck are all leaving and it, it's just terrible. And then he's like, but wouldn't you like to meet this Jesus? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to meet that Jesus. I want to meet another Jesus. I want to meet a Jesus who's victorious. So after this guy goes bouncing around the temple like a pinball machine, and he tells everybody that Jesus is the one who healed him, let me tell you, people wanted to meet Jesus. And all of a sudden, it became a credible option. Instead of just somebody knocking on you, can we talk to you about the Bible? No, please don't. Do you like the Bible? Yes, I read it this morning. I still don't want to talk about it, you know. We have this problem with people at our doorsteps, but when something of power happens, we can authentically share with others. The power of prayer allows us to experience God in our lives to the point where when we tell our story, it's not evangelism like that. It's not that weird thing. It's actually us sharing about us. Something happened in my heart. I got to tell you about it. Well, that's a different story. And now you're talking to a friend and now they know, look, something really did happen. They got a smile on their face. They went from being Eeyore to Piglet. And, well, you, you know the story of ewer that well enough to, okay, well, I won't push that metaphor any further. The power of God creates the opportunity to credibly share the story. People are sharing the story all the time in non-credible ways. Don't be one of those people. Honestly, don't be one of them. You know, pastors want to hear the message shared, and I want you to share the message of what Jesus is doing in your life. I hope the people around you and your family and your friend base, where you work, I hope they know your story. But don't share it without credibility. Don't share it like you are. Don't share it while you're doing something counter to the gospel. Do it with credibility and with a heart in tune with God so they can believe. At the heart of this sermon, though, Peter goes forward and he calls the people back to get right with God. And then he says this line that I think just goes for miles. So that times of refreshing will be sent from the Lord. Interesting. There are two moments in the Bible that are worse than any other moments. The first is the cross. The son of God being killed for us is great for us, but it's the worst moment in history. The maker of our planet, the maker of each one of us being destroyed temporarily for us is the worst moment in the history of the human race. But the second worst moment is Genesis chapter 3, where the first couple fail and where they sin. But in that moment, there's the greatest moment or the greatest picture, I suspect, of prayer. Because after they took a bite of that fruit and they did this terrible thing and they were on the wrong side of God, you've read the story maybe, they actually get afraid and they hide. They go hide in the bushes. And you've seen the, I won't draw pictures for you in your mind. You've already seen them, right? And it says the man and wife had sinned and they knew they were naked. And so they went hiding from God. And God, it says, comes walking and it uses this phrase, in the cool of the day. Now, I suspect that wasn't the first time. In fact, I suspect that God came walking with them in the cool of every day. It meant literally when the breezes flowed across the garden. It was a hot day of working. Adam and Eve were tasked with maintaining this Garden of Eden, and they were doing all of this work, and they were doing the great job that they were called to do, and it got hot, and every night when the breezes came, it was a time for refreshing. And they met with God, and they discussed things. I don't know what they discussed. How are you making out with that that rhino? You know, he's a little bit cantankerous. Have you brushed the hippopotamus' teeth yet, you know? I don't know what they discussed back then, but they had this reflection with God. Shelby and I have a rule in our house. um, When she gets home, she gets home a little bit after me from work, and she comes in the door, and the kids are allowed to dogpile her for about 30 seconds, and then they all have to go to the other end of the house. This may sound mean, but we've realized that if our marriage isn't in a good spot, then the rest of the evening's not going to go well. So we take 20 minutes from the moment she gets home To just connect, the two of us. And that just means we sit in the kitchen and I say, how was your day? And she tells me. And she asks, how was my day? And I tell her. And we talk about it for 20 minutes. That's all it is. But it gets us in the right rhythm with each other again. And then we can be married and we can live in the same house without this kind of non-rhythm thing that happens. We need that time of refreshing our relationship in order to walk with each other. And the times of the prayer are times when we get to refresh ourselves with God. And that's what was happening in the cool of the Garden of Eden every day until all of a sudden it was broken. And God shows up for this meeting with his first two couple, and, and he loves them, and they're not there. And he says, Adam, where are you? And he says, God, I'm naked. I can't come out. He's like, weren't you naked yesterday? What changed? What changed? And it keeps going on, and the story draws out, and of course we realize that it's an epically terrible, very bad moment. But God has called us to experience this moment again. And Peter says at the very culminating point in the sermon, at the center point of the sermon, he says, listen, God wants to meet you, and he wants to meet you so that times of refreshing can come from the Lord. Your life needs to be refreshed. Why do you, be a, why do you become a follower of Jesus? Because you've come gotten into such a crisis that he's the only way out? Because you've heard that you need to spend eternity either with God or completely away from God, and this is your choice that you get to make? No, the best moment to follow Jesus is because you need him every moment of your existence, walking, refreshing your life, living in a conversation. And Peter says, listen, you need to repent. You need to turn from where you've been so God can wipe the sins away from you so you can walk in a refreshed walk with the living God. The almighty creator of this universe wants to meet with you. Don't miss the moment. He sent his son to make this happen. And this is the crux of the message that Peter, when he gets this chance to authentically share, he says, this is it. Why should you be a Christian? Because you get to talk with God. You know, a lot of Christians, I don't even think, do talk with God. You know, we kind of... Say a prayer before dinner, maybe before we go to bed, maybe first thing when we wake up. You might recite the Lord's Prayer if you've had it memorized. But are you a person who connects with God in relationship? Are you actually sharing with Him what's on your heart? I'm not talking about a religious prayer here at all. I'm just talking about conversation. In fact, some of the prayers that I think we offer are probably really offensive to God. We think we have to every now and then. You think you have to use these and thou's, right? You hear people say this. Oh God, thou art so great, thee this and that. God wasn't created in the King James era. He actually wants to talk to you like you talk to the people, your friends, the people who love you. So Peter calls the people back to get right with God so times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Scene 3. Personal transformation. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. This is a great response to a great message, right? We show up at Potstown Hospital, bunches of people who couldn't get out of bed the day before, now get out of bed, and the Potstown police show up and they throw us in jail. Why? Why? It doesn't make any sense. They seized Peter and John, they put him in jail, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas. You remember those names from anywhere? Those are two of the leaders who are there for the crucifixion of Jesus. They're the people who murder Christ. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How much do you know about Peter? Was he a a smart guy? Right? Right? intelligent, never stuck his foot in his mouth. He was the sort of guy who really always knew the right appropriate words. He was sensitive and emotionally caring. He was a person who women said, man, I wish my husband was like that guy, right? Well, actually, he kind of had a habit of sticking his foot in his mouth. And at one point, Jesus actually calls him Satan because he says something so offensive to Jesus. Peter's not the world's greatest guy. And you know, what were his hands like? Were they well manicured and smooth like the hands of an accountant? Were they used to typing on a computer or maybe just writing things down on a piece of paper? Or did he have splinters from oars on the Sea of Galilee as he rowed his fishing boat out to catch fish? And did he have slices where the fishing nets as he's hauling them in and he had a pr- particularly good day and he's got bare hands and he's cutting open his hands trying to pull this rope and he's got rope burn on those hands and the fingernails are kind of iffy and, you know, He smells a little like fish. And his education was the education of knots and winds and seasonal climate change and all of those things, but not that of lawyers. And now he's surrounded by a vast group of lawyers and they're drilling him with questions and his responses are so amazing that these guys take note and they were astonished and they say, well, it must be because he was with Jesus. Huh, really? You know, people tell me all the time, I believe in God. I don't need to go to church, I believe in God. 80 or 90% of Americans believe in God, right? Lots of us believe in God. But there's a whole other question. These Sadducees and these religious leaders, they believed in God. I'll tell you how I know that is because they looked at Peter and they said this change in him means only one thing. He, there's only one thing we could credit with, it's Jesus. They believed in Jesus and they hated him. They believed in Jesus and they wanted Jesus and his followers kicked off the temple mount. They believed in Jesus and they wished he would have stayed dead. Believing in God is not enough. Believing in Jesus and deciding to accept what he's offered is a whole different thing than just saying, I believe in God. These leaders believed in Jesus, but they didn't believe to their salvation. They believed to their long-term estrangement. But since they could see the man who had been healed, this is verse 14, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Why did they want to stop it? Somebody can heal somebody, and they... Want to stop it? Their instant reaction is, let's qualm this thing, put it under, under a rug and act like it didn't happen. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Prayer transforms us by connecting us with the person of Jesus. You know, when you looked at Peter, it's like his life, you know, I'll just put it this way. I watch ESPN a lot, the website. I don't have cable, so I can't watch it on my TV. But I watch it, and I love college basketball. Yesterday was... One of the two most important days in college basketball for the season, Michigan again played Ohio State, and they beat them this time, which makes me just, you know, I was so excited uh, about Anyway, they have this chart that shows all of the points, and it kind of goes like this, and you see the progression of the game with 20 points in the first half and then 40 points halfway through the second half, and you kind of see the score range. Now, if you looked at that same chart and you looked at the life of Peter and you were expecting what to see of him, what you would see is he was a fisherman, he was a bad fisherman, then he kind of got a little bit better and he knew where the fish were and he caught a few more of them. He bought a house, provided a little bit better for his family. Then he got a little bit better at fishing. Then his son started to take over the family business and he only fished three out of five days. And then at the end of his life, he's actually sitting on an easy chair and his kids are bringing him fish to eat because they took over the business completely and he's retired eating fish. That's his trajectory. Do you understand? That's it. And yet he's standing here in the midst of the smartest guys in his nation, and he's defending Jesus the Christ, and he's saying, This is the power that just healed this guy, and 5,000 people bought it. You can't just put me under the rug. You can only explain this by Jesus. It's that gigantic. I've been transformed by this Jesus. And my life story, which was going to be like this, just took a right turn and it went precipitously up and I am in a completely different place. What's more is I'm so unafraid. These are the very guys who killed Jesus a few weeks before and he's not even afraid for his life. As he sits there and says, should I listen to you or should I listen to God? You know, Annas and Caiaphas, those two guys, they had the weapons to kill him in the moment. He could have been dead before 10 minutes was out. And yet his heart was transformed. Most of us live lives of fear in some way. Most of us have a walk that is somehow broken and hurting. Most of us have this fear that we're going to run out of money or we're going to run out of life or the people in our lives are going to break relationship with us and we're going to be betrayed. We live in fear. Something keeps most of us up at night. Nothing made this man afraid. Jesus had transformed him to the point where he was not afraid. Prayer has this ability to change people into people who are confident and courageous. They took note that these men had been with Jesus, and he stands there and bravely says in front of them all, listen, is it you guys that I should listen to or God himself? Because it was God who fixed that man's ankles, and it was God who has changed me to be who I am today. I'm not listening. Interesting, isn't it? The first step in the journey is that they prayed and God put them in the place where if they heard him and listened to him, they could act for him. The second step is that they step out into this whole deal and it it causes them to be able to credibly share the message of Jesus. The third step is that you see them being personally transformed. Peter and John were not the same guys. There's one more step and then we'll close. The shaping of a community. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I guess that's why we don't have to be worried about the religious leaders of our day. If God told us to do this and he made the heavens and the earth, okay. We can be unafraid. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his holy anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city, met to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They conspired, they thought they were doing the worst thing possible, and it ended up with the best thing in history. You catch that? Irony. They did what your power and will had decided, even though they were trying to conspire against you. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God It doesn't just shape the hearts of individual people. It doesn't just put us in a position to serve God where we're at. It doesn't do just the. It doesn't just create the ability for us to credibly share the message. It shapes the whole community. Listen to the words. Everyone was of one heart and mind when I asked my father-in-law and my mother-in-law if I could marry my wife. We were married ten years on Thursday. Uh, and, and I remember, like it was yesterday, a moment of great fear and trepidation in my life. I went to Roger and Lois Moore, and I said, could I marry your daughter? And interestingly, my mother-in-law did most of the talking. And she said, you know, one of the things you need to know is you and Shelby aren't gonna agree. And she said, "Where well, there's two people gathered. If they both agree, then one of them's unnecessary. That was her personal theory on marriage. It's worked for her. They're married for I don't know how many years. But that was her theory. Counter distinctive to my mother-in-law, and I know I'm on dangerous territory, you know, mentioning my mother-in-law, but everyone was of one heart and mind. Wouldn't it be great if we were all together on stuff in the body of Christ? I don't just mean this church. Wouldn't it be great if the whole worldwide body of Christ, 24 different time zones and all of these different people? worshiping in different languages. What if we were one heart and mind? I wish I could ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have been Baptist? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have been Methodist, Lutheran, charismatic, Catholic? We could go on and on. Why are there so many different branches of Christianity? It's because people haven't had one heart, and they haven't had one mind, and the Spirit of God hasn't been listened to, and there has been this huge difficulty with prayer burgeoning into what it was supposed to do. Why? Because we don't walk in times of refreshing with our Father. Instead of that, Peter says, listen, if we pray, if we pray, then our community will be shaped and our heart and mind will be in unity, one with the other. What an amazing church that would be. I would love to be a part of that church, a part of that family, a part of that set of relationships. That is awesome. Prayer shapes a community after God's heart. No one was in need as, ever, as everyone was sharing with each other. It's not that they had a thermometer in the church foyer saying, okay, we want to raise $50 by next week or $50,000 or 100000 It's that we want to see God move and we're just going to pray. And people started selling stuff. And not little stuff. They sold houses. And they sold land, and they did all this stuff, giving stuff over to God. Why? Because the Spirit of God was active in their lives, and they were praying, and they heard God speak. And they said, you know what? Nobody told me to do this. I wanted to do it. I gave. The story of Jesus was shared with power. The message keeps going out in wider and wider group of people. People's lives are being shaped and changed, and the community of God is being changed. Wouldn't this be fun to be a part of? Wouldn't this be an experience worth having. And it all starts just so small. Peter and John are just headed up to the mountain, the temple, and they're praying. It all starts just that little bit. It's just all that happens through the rest of the story is a reaction to this one moment. Peter and John, three o'clock in an afternoon, were going to pray. We have to close, but I got to tell you one final story. It occurs to me that it's easy for us to think, well, that was 2,000 years ago. God has a great future, and he has a wonderful past. But what about the present? You know what I'm saying? Is he doing anything like this today? I have a friend, and my friend and I have walked through life more than any of my other friends. I've known him longer. And uh, I won't share his name, but a few years ago, when I was in college, he started to pursue a lifestyle that was just really, really destructive. And his mom called me, and she thought I was going to be the good influence. I was in Bible college at the time, so who do you call the Bible college kid, you know? And she says, listen, I I want you to uh, talk with my son. I said, okay. I prayed for a month, and then I finally got the guts up to go talk to my friend. And I caught him in the front yard of his house, and I said, are you doing this stuff? And you know what it's like when somebody who never lies to you lies to you? He said, no, I'm not doing any of it. And I just could see it on his face. Of course he had done it. It was sad. It was just like, oh, man. But he denied it, so I walked away. And I prayed. That was June. And I prayed through June and July and August. And I came home from college that year. And I was there in in the fall of the year. I remember my sister, Shelby, forgive me. uh, She hooked me up on a blind date. I was out with this girl I'd never met before in my life, and I was out with my sister and her boyfriend and another set of friends. There were six of us, and we went through this whole date, and we had a good time. It was fine, and, you know, we were sitting around on my parents' deck at the end of it all, and we were talking, and it was dark out. We were just the six of us talking, and I heard uh, a car door in the front of our house. We're sitting in the circle on these lawn chairs. There's a few extra chairs, and the door opens, and you can't even see because it's so dark, and somebody comes out and sits down, and he doesn't say hello it's just odd you know what i'm saying six of us sitting there and there's a seventh person now and you're like who is that and what are they doing and we sit there for a while and nobody says much and you know it was a blind date so it was awkward anyway and then we hear sniffing and whoever it was started to just sniff and then they started to kind of gulp you know there's like <laughs> you know, and some weird noises are coming from there. I'm thinking somebody's in medical difficulty on the other side of this deck, this is odd. So I go over to see who it was and I started to get an inkling who it might be and it was my friend. And I sat down next to him and I could see in the moonlight at that point, the light changed, I can still picture his face and there is these tears just running down his face, just weeping, sitting there on the back deck of my parents' house. And he said, I need to talk to you. I was driving about 45 miles from here and I was going to the place where you accused me of going, where you told me that I had a problem and I told you I didn't. I was going there and I couldn't get past this billboard. It was a billboard for a local hospital with a little baby in the neonatal unit was being advertised. And he says, I couldn't drive it. I couldn't get my truck past this billboard sign. What is that? He said, God's gotten a hold of me and I need to talk to somebody. You know, I left that girl sitting on the deck. <laughs> that was the end, you know. I mean, no more girl. That was it. And uh, I went to my apartment. And me, me and my friend, we started to talk. He says, God wants a hold of my life, and I can tell you. He wants to change it. And i got to get this stuff right with him. So times of refreshing can start. And i got to change my job. This is where I started in this bad path. i got to pursue this new career. I'm going to go to school for the next seven years and pursue medicine. He changed his whole life based in this one moment with a, with a billboard of a baby. And I've got to tell you, I like to teach, and I like to preach, and I had preached at him before, and I had confronted him, and it didn't do anything. You know what changed him? The Spirit of God. Just walking down the road, driving down the road, he couldn't get past the sign. That's not Josh Whitework, right? It's not Josh Whitework's godliness. You've had these moments, I hope, where it's not you, it's God. And all you can say is, it's Jesus of Nazareth, what are you going to do about it? It still happens and it happens all over the world and it happens not last year, it happens yesterday. The power of God is still alive. When we pray, we put ourselves in a position to serve God and what he's doing in the moment. When we pray, we get the opportunity to share credibly what Christ is doing and it comes out with authenticity in an attractive way where people really like to hear about Jesus. When we pray, we get courage and we are transformed from fear into faith. When we pray, we become people who are shaped as a community of people. But it all starts with, are we willing to go to the Temple Mount? Are we willing just to pray?